Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is season two, episode 27. Yes, got that on the first try. Excellent. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for being here. If you've been here a while, I love you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Don't take notes. I've taken your notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, check out my amazing, amazing food and product photography. It's what I do for a living. I'm a professional photographer. Let me dust that off right there. If you need photos or you know someone who needs photos, hit me up. If you've got questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, I'm here for you. Shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure, gmail.com. Tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram or send your questions through Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure. So how is everyone's weekend? What'd you do? Did you eat anything yummy? I would like to know. I ask Todd every day when he comes home from work. I'm like, what'd you have for lunch? Was it good? Was it tasty? Did you put anything else on it? Ooh, that sounds good. Like that's that's probably 90% of our conversation when he walks in the door. Not even like, how was your day? I, pro- I, I know I ask, how was your day? But I usually then don't take a breath and then just say, what'd you eat? Was it good? Was it tasty? What'd you put on it? Like it's, those are, that's pretty much my usual spiel. Um, I had a good weekend. It was lovely. Saw some family, saw some friends. Uh, can't complain. It's been a really nice end of August. I am loving it. Just wrapped a really fun photo shoot with one of my favorite clients. I mean, they're all my favorite clients, but this one's one of my favorite clients. <laughs> and uh, it was just a ton of, we had a ton of fun. I got some beautiful shots for their uh, winter holiday campaign. And uh feels good to come back to summer for a minute because I've been living in like, fall winter holidays for the last few weeks that now it's like oh it's still summer there's still tomatoes it's still I can still buy really sweet corn like this is good this is good I feel good about this um speaking of corn I need to go and buy some I do this thing where in the summer probably right about now if not like usually a week ago I will go to a farm that I like in New Hampshire usually because it's by my mom's house and I buy an obscene amount of corn and then I take it right raw. Like I, I take it off the husk. So I will take a knife and just down the, the corn husk, the, you know what I'm saying? The ear, whatever. And uh, then I take the kernels, put them in a top, a zip, whatever, put them in the freezer and I use it all winter long and they are delicious. It's amazing. And I still need to do that. So let me put that on my list. Where's a piece of paper? Okay. 
had to write that down. Uh, all right, back to this episode. This is this is the second. This was a part tour. So hold on. Let, enough about corn. What am I saying? Let's get going. Your waiting has paid off. Your patience has, I, I'm sure, waned at this point. But we're here. You did it. You made it to part two. And I cut that conversation at the juiciest part. Pun intended. So here, without further ado, my second part of my conversation with Mike Jurgens. So grab your wine. Let's do this. All right, on to wine. On to this little, this little grape, this little fruit wow. called, called wine. So um, you touched on it a second ago, but you're, you know, we, we talked about your passion for it, where, where that stemmed from. And now you have a little region in a little place called Bhutan in the Himalayas. How on earth did you pick this spot? And I know I am sure you do a ton of interviews. I am sure you've been asked this a thousand times, but like, really, man, like out of all oh the God. places. Why, why the kingdom of Bhutan and the Himalayas? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, first, are you are you a hiker? Are you a backpacker? Were you like, I'm going to go find myself in the Himalayas. And then you just stumbled upon this vista? Kind of. So uh-huh. my girlfriend had read this book in high school um about this woman who moved to Bhutan and found true love and stayed there okay and somehow it stuck with her and so the whole time we've been together for I don't know 17 years but the whole time we've been together she won't shut the fuck up about Bhutan you're going to Bhutan she wants to have like an eat love pray moment in Bhutan with you 100 percent that is precisely what she wants yeah so I didn't know where Bhutan was but at the time I was I wasn't hiking. I wasn't backpacking. But what I was doing was I was running these adventure races in random places around the world, like Antarctica or Australia. I'd go run a a marathon or an ultra marathon in these weird places. And I ended up on like an email distribution list. And I got this spam email saying, we're running. And literally in the subject head, it said Bhutan Marathon. And I was like, oh, that's that place. And so I clicked on it. It was like, uh, we're working with the kingdom to organize some international runners to go there to run the first Bhutanese marathon. If you want to go, we have 10 spots. Submit your application. I go, submit. And I thought Bhutan was an island in Indonesia. I did not know it was in the, the Himalayas. <laughs> so now you got to deal with altitude. You're dealing. <laughs> and it was funny. Like, I went to my girlfriend and I was like, honey surprise i'm taking you to baton finally we're gonna run this marathon and she goes and i literally i remember this she goes oh my god we're going to the himalayas and i go what the fuck are you talking about that's not in the himalayas it's in indonesia she goes no it isn't it's between <laughs> tibet and nepal and i go wait what and i pulled my phone out and i googled it and i was like oh shit it's in the himalaya i didn't even fucking know Oh my God. Um, so that's what took me there in the first place. And then when I was there, so Bhutan is like the only carbon negative country on the planet. And they grow these amazing crops. Like you wouldn't think that the Himalayas are like a place to grow vegetables, but they grow some of the world's best vegetables at various altitudes there. And so wow. 
when I was there to run this marathon, I just assumed there was wine because every place that can grow wine does. Yeah. You know? And so like I kept walking around going like, Hey, uh, this rice patty is amazing, but where are the vineyards? Can I go see the vineyards? And, uh, and it turns out there are many. Um, so I, so I solved that. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so how, if, when you walk into, cause I know there has, and we'll get into it. A ton needs to happen before you're drinking a glass of wine in Bhutan. Like, so how did you even know if vines would work there? Like, how did you know? And like, how did you know what vines would work there? Especially because there's no established vines in the area. Like, did you get a geologist, a like a climatologist? Like, what did we have to do to get to that point? So I never set out to, to start the wine industry there. Like, I thought it would be cool if they did it. And so I ended up at this this dinner with a bunch of government people that they wanted to meet like the foreigners that had come to the country to run this marathon. And I said, Hey, where are the vineyards? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't have any. And I'm like, you guys are fucking up. This place is perfect for this. And they said, why do you think that? And so I went home and I did some research. I looked at what climate data I could get. And I compared it against, um, other major growing regions. And the thing about Bhutan is Bhutan is 500 feet in altitude in, sa- in the South and like 27,000 feet in the North. But oh that God. distance is like 400 miles. So they have every climate zone known to man in oh like four, this 400 mile span. So I did this research and I wrote this white paper that said, this is why I think you could grow amazing wine grapes here. And they, and they have a history of growing amazing fruit. You know, they grow the world's best mandarin oranges. They grow the world's mm. best cardamom. They grow the world's best red rice. So it wasn't like this foreign idea of like growing bitch and shit there. It was just they had never grown vinifera. And so um, I wrote this white paper or this white paper and I, I emailed it to him. I'm like, here's why I think this. Like, you guys should do this. And and they, and I never heard anything back. Like, yeah. no one ever got back to me. No. And so like two years later, it's I probably went, got stuck in like a spam folder or something. Somewhere. No, no, <laughs> quite the opposite, actually. Turns out every motherfucker in Bhutan read this fucking white paper, um, but nobody responded to me. So I went back like two years later to run the marathon again because I had so much fun the first time. And when I went back there, there a bunch of people were like, hey, can we take a meeting with you? We'd like to have a conversation you're the wine guy right i'm like well yeah i guess sure um and so i took a bunch of meetings with these people and they're like we love this idea this is amazing like this fits in with our gross national happiness this fits in with like our our vision of the country and how we want to have these organic products that we export with brand bhutan and i go cool you guys should do this like Take my I, I, idea and run with it. I'll come drink. Like, yeah, 100%. That was exactly my point. Like, go do this. Like, I, I'm not fucking around. Like, you guys should do this. I think it would be amazing. Yeah. And I would love to to come and drink some wine eventually. And they're like, they're like, <laughs> That's yeah. not our idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're like, so here's our idea. We partner with you to do it. And I was like, wait, what? I get to be the guy that like creates a whole country's 
view. And I have no rules. Like in Europe, there's rules that go back a thousand yeah. years, right? Like if I want to blend Riesling with Cabernet Sauvignon, I can do that. If I yeah. want to make, uh, you know, a 600 millimeter bottle instead of a 750, yeah. I, I could do that. If I want to do screw caps instead of, I could do whatever I want. I get to decide how this country participates in the global wine industry. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm all in on this. This is amazing. Fuck yeah, I'm doing this. Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. And the last time this happened was New Zealand in the 1800s. Like this. Well, there's not much left in the world that you could think wine doesn't grow and there's not an established region with laws and regulations and mm -hmm. because i mean people don't it, realize how uh like you, the little things you were just describing even when it comes down to labeling a certain way in certain regions of mm -hmm. the country like like in chianti if you don't have that black rooster on the label in chianti it is not chianti it's not that's right right yep. and like it's it's things but there's rigorous testing and regulations and everything and you walked in and it was just like you hit the jackpot but then you got the green light you're excited you got money then what like it's not like you're just like okay let's dig some earth and plant some stuff like well yeah so <laughs> so 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 yeah, turns out there was some practical considerations that I failed <laughs> yeah. to consider when like, hey, you get to do this. I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do this. But then there's shit like, let's let's import foreign invasive species into a carbon negative country that's renowned for sustainable agriculture. And see let's what happens. Let's worry about that. Yeah. And then let's worry about like, this has never been done before. So what altitudes like do you plant shit at and what grapes? And so we did a bunch of analysis and inevitably we concluded that like, we don't fucking know. Yeah. Um, and so uh, rather than trying to like bet the farm on, on like our best guess, what we did was we planted vineyards from 1500 feet up to 9,000 feet. And we planted a whole shitload of white grapes and red grapes to see what will work. And I know that, not everything's going to work. Matter of fact, I, I expect probably 70 to 80% of stuff is not going to work. I just need to find out what works. And now that we're in, let's see, we're in our fifth growing season in six vineyards, and we're in our third in two vineyards, and we're starting to learn. Like I know um, it looks like, like at the 1,500-foot level, like Malbec mm. is crushing it. Mm. Sauvignon Blanc is crushing it. And Cabernet is amazing. Chardonnay, which I was like, oh, fuck, Chardonnay grows everywhere. Nope, yeah. Chardonnay is yeah. not growing in Bhutan. Mm. Um, and uh, at the higher altitudes, um, it's, there's, we have two vineyards that are like in a perpetual state of semi-dormancy. And so we got to figure out what's going to go on with, with those. Mm. Um, I have some other vineyards that are like 6,000 feet where, uh, Cabernet Franc is doing really, really well. And all of this is fine. Like, I, like we got to figure this out. Like, Burgundy and Bordeaux had a thousand years yeah. <laughs> with, with monks, like, taking detailed yeah. notes for every vine. Uh, yeah. But um, I think we'll, we'll do our first harvest next year um, and we'll make our first wine next year where we continue to learn. I think this is probably 
I think it's 10 years before we dial in something decent. And I think it's probably 50 years before we really wow. get focused. And I think it's a hundred years before I'm, I'll, I'll be dead, you know? Yeah. There'll be, there'll be a little plaque with my <clears throat> name on it. The town yeah, your ashes will be in out. a, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. but seriously, like, like it's the, it's the coolest uh, adventure in wine, I think that you could possibly do. Like I, I could go buy a vineyard in Napa and plant some cab and make another Napa cab. All right, cool. Snooze fest. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, I mean, the science food nerd in me right now is so geeking out about just even taking these vines. Like, and like you, there is risk in obviously bringing in the invasive you know, species of a plant into an environment where the other things are already thriving, but this might not work or it might kill some other things or, you know, like nature is balanced in a beautiful way that you just, when you disrupt it, good or bad and different, like things are going to happen. Right. So like the science nerd in me is really excited to hear like the progression and like pick apart what works, what doesn't work, why doesn't it work, what then, why are these tasting notes this way, what, you know, and like all of the awesome, and I'm sure you feel the same way or you wouldn't be doing this. Um, it's it's really, it's fascinating. And, you know, it, maybe it's too soon to tell because I don't know if you're pressing anything quite yet. It sounds like you're still in the growing phase. We're, st we're still learning. What do you think's gonna make this wine so special and set apart from other regions? Well, so, you know, if you buy into this idea mm -hmm. that wine is designed to express a sense of place, mm -hmm. Bhutan has an immense sense of place. Like when you go there, the energy just hits mm -hmm. you. It is this weird Shangri-La in the middle of the fucking Himalayas. Yeah. Monasteries and monks and, and these beautiful sort of things. Now, I could make, I could take any red grape. I could grow fucking Marichal Foch there and like it's a hybrid or whatever. Mm. And, and I could oak the shit out of it and just make another recipe wine. What I want to try to do is capture the essence of Bhutan in a bottle Mm. But I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Um, but my hope for it is that, let's say the Malbec, you know, we double down on Malbec. So you have Argentinian Malbec, which is very over-extracted. Uh, it's very dark. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have like Malbec from France, from Cahors, which is even darker. Um, and they're oak in it. It's vanilla and it's purple. You know, could... Would the Malbec from Bhutan be, I don't know, I'm making this up, yeah. herbal and spicy? Right. Uh, would it be something that you could taste in the glass and be like, oh, this is different. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but it's different. Yeah. Um, like that would be dope. Sauvignon Blanc, you know, that yeah. the, they grow Sauvignon Blanc everywhere, right? So, you know, if we grow Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand, it's very grassy and herbal. If we grow it in France in the Loire Val Valley, it's very acidic and, and crisp. Mm -hmm. You grow it in Napa, it's it's kind of oaky and rich and, and tropical fruit. Like, will our Sauvignon Blanc be unique? Um, and I think it will. I, like, But I don't know what it's going to 
tastes like. Mm. like I, I just, I'm operating on this philosophy that it's going to, and by the way, like I've spent the last seven years of my life and, you know, a ridiculous amount of money yeah. betting on the come line that I'm right. Yeah. And I might not be. <laughs> Listen, I'm a craps player. So that analogy works really well with me. I got money on the yeah. come line. And like, I think, you know, I think you're well, going to be right. I think, you know, how can you be wrong? How like it's wine, it's going to taste great. You're going to refine it and it's going to be perfect. No, no, for, for, for sure. And I like, I'm not worried about will we be able to make drinkable wine? Like that's, that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. We will be able to make, good wine the question is can we make unique wine can i grow cabernet yeah. there that has you know like as a, as a master wine candidate you know you you blind taste wine and you you're like okay this is a napa cabernet this is a left bank bordeaux this is margaret river you can tell the difference this is from south africa because it tastes it's got mercaptans and smoke and this is this is bordeaux because it's got a forest floor and mushroom and this is napa because it's got opulent fruit like this is bhutan because mm -hmm. i just mm -hmm. don't know what the because is like, no and you won't you, know. you can drink it like and but you will but you will and it's going to be amazing and the other whole big part of this is uh only because i'm in you know i'm, I'm a professional food and product photographer it's all about marketing so you can have some of the best tasting niche wine in the world. If you don't get it out there and get it out there to the, you know, this in the right people with the right hands in the right timing. Well, so the, you the, know good that. News is, the good news is, is that because this has not been done in 200 years yeah, and because I have a global wine network yeah. through business and the masters of wine, like there's a, load of attention on yeah. this i mean they're 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 filming a documentary about this they're like there's a bunch of people are looking at this thing um, but as a marketing person let me tell you a branding story because mm. this is fucking awesome so in bhutan when a baby is born um they take the baby to the local monastery and there are certain monks whose job it is to give the baby the name and so they give a baby a first name and a second name, which is maddening because you don't know who's related to anybody right because everyone has different different names. names oh my god Be because yeah it's like uh like you're john smith but your brother is joe bob like it's, wow. just, like, it's fucking maddening um and so we when we were trying to come up with a name for the brand i go hey like we're working with the the country. Let's have the monks name our baby, and so we go to the monks, and I go to the master monk, the master namer for the country, and I go, "Hey, uh, we're building this wine industry. We need a name for our baby." And he goes, "Okay, we got this," and he goes off, and I don't hear from him for like six weeks, and he comes back, and he goes, "Okay, we've we've decided the name is Serkem." S-E-R-K-E-M, Serkem. And I go, okay, again. <laughs> the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> that's fine. And uh, and he goes, okay, what happens is when you, when you, in the Buddhist religion, when you visit a Buddhist monastery, it's customary to bring a gift mm -hmm. to the gods. Mm -hmm. And the gift could be money, 
and really it's for the monks, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, fruit, <laughs> food, yeah, the whole food, thing. money, alcohol, whatever. When you bring alcohol, that offering is called serkem, and it is the alcohol alcohol of the gods. Ah, and so I was like, holy shit, that's fucking amazing. That's a great marketing. But like, I need to figure out how to tell that story because, it, like, if someone walking through the the wine store that says Sir Cam on the label, they're like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, like, I need to somehow be able to tell that story. But when I tell it, people yeah. are like, "Holy shit, I'm drinking that! That, that sounds fucking awesome!" But I'm yeah, all, that's for sure. From hundred percent from, from the kingdom of Bhutan and the magical Shangri La, uh, yeah, in the Himalayas. Fuck Hell yes, yeah. I'm all in. So, another question I got to ask is. Are there multiple kingdoms in this area or is this just like, cause you know, we have cities and towns and municipalities and everything here in the U S is like a kingdom, just a term for no, like No, no. I mean, it truly is a, is a kingdom. So you think like that, that whole area, I'll get geopolitical for, for a minute. Please. So it's mostly India mm-hmm. and China. Yeah. And there was this, there was a kingdom called Sikkim, S-I-K-K-I-M, that like India basically swallowed up. Sure. And then Tibet, Nepal, and Bhutan have been targets. So Tibet has been like kind of swallowed up by China-ish. China-ish, yeah. I mean, the, like the Beastie Boys were doing like the free Tibet. I shit, re- like. loved them. I know, I remember. And then, uh, and then Nepal had a royal family and this is a crazy fucking story mm. like in like 2001 um the one of the sons one of the princes was like a rambo type and he basically lost his shit and he killed his entire family at like a holiday greeting and then himself so like nepal was its own thing but then like this dude killed his entire family and like the country just kind of went into chaos, and and so they've never really recovered from that. Bhutan um, has remained neutral, um, and they've done a really just. I, I'm so impressed with the foresight of the fourth king, in the way that he he sort of established the country's neutrality, was able to work with the United Nations, and then he abdicated the throne to his son. Um, and at the same time, he set up a parliamentary system about 15 years ago. That's very similar to England mm. where, so you have like a, a Royal family that's in charge of um, state and you have a parliament that's in charge of government, but it, yeah, it truly is. And it's weird. Cause there's just not that many, you know, kingdoms left in the, uh, no. In the world. Um, no, but they sound like if like Switzerland and like Costa Rica, Kind of had a baby in the Himalayas. It's like like Switzerland and like Finland or or Sweden. Yeah, (laughs) totally. No, but I go with Costa Rica because they're so environmentally friendly. Like they're one of the most sustainable countries in the world, um, especially with energy. And so that's why I picked that. But I I dig it. I dig it. Okay, before we've got a a couple of listener questions you're going to answer. Before we do that, I have to know what are your favorite wine descriptors? Because uh, all of you master psalms, eventually master cert wine peeps, all have their favorite go-to descriptors. Do you want to give me like your top five? Uh, can you? Can you pick? Can you narrow it down to five that you always say? Your girlfriend 
partner would be able to do this in a heartbeat for you. She would. She would. Okay. Because she's better than me at basically everything. Um, she but, knows uh, you. So here's, here's my take on descriptors. Mm. Um, I think that descriptors are more or less bullshit. Yeah. In the sense that, like, uh, if I grew up in Southern California eating oranges and yep. you grew up in Italy eating oranges, Two the oranges, oranges would taste different. Much different. Right. And, but but in your head, like you would say you would associate like, oh, this tastes like an orange to me or this smells like an orange to me. And in California, I would be like, oh, that doesn't smell like this smells like an orange. Mm -hmm. And so um, so I tend to not get too wound up about about like aromas and flavors because I recognize that everyone sort of interprets that a little bit differently. So for me, I focus a lot on um, on the structure and I worry about things like tannins uh -huh. uh, for red wine and I worry about like acid for white wine. And I, and I, you know, think about like, is the acid tangy or is it linear or is it, is it sort of broad uh, or are the tannins like really green and chewy or are they like fine grained powdery? And this is like esoteric, like geeky ass shit. I love it. Uh, it, it, which I think is a little bit different from the wine guy that's like, oh, I get fucking gooseberry and fucking right. Uh, you well, know, strawberry. Yeah, I mean, taste is very subjective, but it's also for you, and I imagine for a lot of people out there, it's almost like flashcards in your mind of what's going to trigger in your memory everything you just learned and ingested. So now you can like, because you almost have you pro not have a photographic memory, but you have a lot going on up there that you a catalog that you need to pull from instantly. I have a database, right? Yeah. And so I go like, okay, cool. This smells like cracked black pepper. So it's Syrah. Okay, cool. Uh, it's 13% alcohol. So it's it's a lower, uh, it, it's not a warm climate Syrah. It's a cool climate Syrah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's Northern Rome. Uh, and it's got... Um, more savory character than fruit and so they're therefore it's it's old world rather than australia and like uh it's so like i, I kind of yeah. do like that more so than i do it by aromas yeah. and flavors do you have a bucket list wine that you're dying to taste that you haven't tasted um oh that's an interesting question oh well, good i'm glad i got uh, one wow shit Wow, do I have a bucket of this wine that I haven't tasted? So um, I'm a huge Burgundy fan. Okay. And I have like, I have a, a tattoo of the Latosh vineyard on my chest. Okay. Um, Are you hoping that they give you the vineyard someday? <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping they just invite me to visit. So uh, the Domain Romani Conti, they own seven vineyards that they, um, that they, make wine from and i've had wine from all of the seven mm -hmm. um but what i have not had is this particular vineyard is my favorite mm -hmm. um and the 1970 vintage is considered to be a very high quality vintage and it also happens to be the year that I was born I was waiting for that uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah I would, I would if literally if uh if if uh um Albert de Valaine, who is the winemaker for Tomei Romani, yeah. he's listening to He's this. listening, yeah. If, if I could come and taste a 1970 Latosh yeah. vineyard 
why like that would be just fucking Check it out. Yep. Yeah. or if somebody wants to gift you it um after they or won somebody, yeah. For, the lottery. all of your listeners feel yeah. free to uh just fucking mail me uh totally actually what's interesting so i turned 50 during the pandemic yeah and uh and i had had this dream of um when i turned 50 uh that i would get the dropkick murphys or flogging molly uh-huh. uh some irish punk band and also grandmaster flash oh perfect and, and i would and i would have i would hire them to play like this bitch and fucking party is so grandmaster flash dead no he's oh not. he's still and, alive and, okay great and, and also you can get him to like dj your party for like five grand Oh, really awesome. right. <laughs> like, he'll do a cameo for 25 perfect <laughs> right. like, fucking hell. I, I got a i got a barbecue going i got grandmaster flash right? on the side. It's been this. yeah uh, so i go i go this is what i want to do um but then the pandemic happened. then covid a, happened a, a, right closed down and so i had already allocated like fifty thousand dollars to oh, like nice put to like throw this party for my birthday and i go oh it's nothing's gonna happen let's buy a bitchin bottle of wine mm-hmm. uh, and so i i uh i thought about like what i wanted to do and and i ended up buying an 1840 bottle of madeira um did and, you open uh, it fuck yeah i opened it Good. And, 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 and i also had a 2008 domain romani conti so i had those two bottles and i sat at the kitchen table in my living room with my son and my girlfriend and that was my 50th birthday lockdown uh we did this this wine thing and the the domain romani conti was it had it it, i don't think it had been stored great uh yeah sure a little oxidized but the 1840 madeira was fucking and to like think where that 1840 bottle of wine like the life that it has seen if it could only oh, talk, was, right? Like was, I hope it, was, it ended up on the pirate ship in the bottle, of, the bottom of the Caribbean at some point, and you got it was in a barrel. I actually did the research on the bottle. So the bottle, it was in the barrel for 110 years, and then it sat in the bottle for another like 55 years in a private cellar um, of this Madeira collector in Africa. And somehow, I, I yeah, it was fucking dope. Uh, oh and you think about like. Franklin Pierce was the president when yeah. that shit was put away. Yeah. This was pre-Lincoln. And uh, I and yeah. I had the opportunity to drink that uh with my with my son and my girlfriend. And my son, God bless my son. You know, he uh not a wine guy. <laughs> He's yeah. had some cool wine experiences. Yeah. I mean, and like people would kill to taste that. And your son's probably like, nah, I kind of like Bud Light. And you're like, no. Oh, no, uh, fucking yeah, truly. No offense to anyone who likes truly out there. <laughs> uh, but no, no judgment. No judgment. I'm just saying that an 1840 Madeira has more complexity than, than a truly. strawberry truly. Just saying. Just and saying. Just, just saying. Yeah. And there's there's room for both. There's mm-hmm. room for both in the cellar. However, they are different. Very different. Um, all right, let's dive into a couple of listener questions. Haley in Boston writes, I live in the Northeast and I'm interested in trying some of your wine or rum. What styles of wine do you make? Are you planning to make? And where can I buy either of them? Okay, cool. So um, the we have not made wine yet in Bhutan. 
We will make wine for the first time next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it will need to age for some period of time. Uh, and so it will probably not hit the U.S. until 2020. There you go. <laughs> um, so Can... from a rum perspective, yeah, uh, there's like weird state rules about shipping wine or, and, and spirits, as you probably well know. But if you Google SoCal rum, um, there are a number of places that sell it. Whether or not they, they will ship to Massachusetts, I don't know. Okay. But, uh, Fair enough. Well, do you, she can do some research and I can throw some stuff in the show notes. Dylan from Instagram writes, I buy and try a lot of new wine, but I don't always know what food to pair with the wines. What are your current favorite wine pairings? Oh, interesting. So, um, so I, I think one of the things that's, that's immensely overlooked is wines that are slightly sweet, mm. um, like Riesling. Um, so if you get a Riesling from the Mosul Valley in Germany, particularly one that's labeled Cabernet or Schwarzlese mm-hmm. or Auschlese, mm-hmm. um, that wine will pair absurdly well with spicy food, like yeah. curry. I was going to say Thai, Vietnamese. Thai, Vietnamese. Yeah. Yeah. Indian. Yeah. So like, like Indian, exactly. And there's mm-hmm. just something about like taking a, a big bite of like spicy curry and washing it down with like a slightly, slightly sweet Riesling. It's just fucking awesome. And um, to that end, Sauterne, mm. which is super, super sweet. And always uh, served with foie gras, always. Well, so that's the classic pairing, right? Yeah. Is like, like Sauterne and foie gras. But like, if you serve Sauterne, like I had Sauterne with caviar the other mm. day and it was it blew my fucking mind. Like we, I had like seven wines out and I was trying to figure out like what wine would pair best with caviar. Cause I didn't know. Beyond champagne caviar. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would think champagne or Chablis or something yeah. like that. And, uh, and like, <laughs> this is my life, right? Like, yeah. oh, oh, which wine pairs best with caviar? Life is hard. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> how douchey could I possibly be? But, um, but I, and randomly, I had a half bottle of Sauterne in my wine fridge. And I go, oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll try some Sauterne. And the Sauterne with the foie, uh, with the caviar was like magical. Like mm. It was like this. It was, and my girlfriend, who I said is a better taster than me, she's like, holy shit, this is good. Wow. What yeah, kind of caviar so, did you have? Um, it was like somebody had someone caviar broker had sent me uh, like a selection of caviar yeah. uh, to get my opinion on what wine would go best with it. Sure, sure, sure. And, and so I literally, I picked six wines that I thought would go with caviar and then also a Sauterne. And the Sauterne, and then the Sauterne was way better That's than awesome. ever. That's awesome. And it reminded me, I did this, um, this wine tasting at Chateau Riasec in, in, in Sauterne, which is, there's two uh, Sauterne producers that are rated like class A. One is Chateau Ikem and one's Chateau Riesec, and they're literally across the street from each other. So everybody knows Chateau Ikem, but most people don't know Chateau Riesec, but it's it's considered equivalent quality. Mm. And I did a dinner there once a few years ago where they they paired every dish with like a regular wine and also a Sauterne. Um, 
And I rem- and I remember sitting there thinking like half the time, like the Sutron was better. Yeah. Then, yeah. Like, here I'm eating a steak and yeah. I'm drinking a Bordeaux, but also I'm drinking a Sutron. I'm like, I don't know, that's pretty fucking good too. Yeah. So, it goes well with a lot of stuff for it sure. It does. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the sweet wines, I think we, we relegate to this sort of, ah, they're sweet. So who cares? But they're, they can be pretty amazing food mm. wines. Whether it's a slightly sweet wine like a like a Riesling or a super sweet wine like a Ries, uh, like a Sauternes. Uh, yeah, or a port or well, yeah, port port's coming in a little hot, right? Well, yeah, on, it's on a fortified. So, yeah. so yeah. Like, you got you got to be you got to worry about that. But uh, but yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, now we kind of already touched on this question, but it's my husband who asked it, so I have to say it out loud. <laughs> so just bear with. So Todd so Massachusetts. So hang on, hang on. Can I ask yeah. a question? Beth? Like yeah. you got like a bunch of like uh little pictures on the wall behind you. Is that like your kids like drawing photos for mom? No, I don't have a child. The only child I have, I don't know where he is. Oh yeah, there he is. Is that oh, there down is. there? Yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. just have a golden retriever. No, that's those are actually when I'm uh trying to get out of my head for photography, I will paint. So they're just little okay, cool. watercolor awesome. paintings. But yes, they could. Uh, it's some are very childlike. So I take no offense to that at all. No, no, um, no. Uh, I will. If, if I if send me one of them, I'll put it on my fridge. <laughs> so Todd in Massachusetts writes, I'm a huge rum fan and have been for many years. What is your favorite style of rum and how do you think it's best served? MJ says in a trash can, but you will answer. So, like, I'm not a rum guy. No, uh, right. Which we've established right. a few times. But, but but here's here's what I would say. And this is going to feel a little self-serving. But mm. let's. Uh, so I, I am a scotch guy. And I like like the the smoky, peatier ah. scotch is like a lagable and sure. and so there are uh, like Ron Zakop, Zakapa, the twenty three year old aged rum is is a really great sipping rum. Yeah. Um, but it truly, if I was to sit around and say I'm going to have rum today, I probably would drink SoCal and a mojito. Or and Coke. I probably would drink it in a mojito or a daiquiri. Just a little bit of lime juice and a little bit of uh, maybe simple syrup and and uh and soda and just have a nice refreshing kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Because like if I want that smoky experience, I, I know I'm gonna enjoy scotch. more than yeah. the smoky rum. I got you. I'm a Highland Scotch gal, so I can't relate to your uh, uh so smoky you're like heating? more like the, the Oban. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Oban is like my my go to when I'm not w- wanting to do like the big smoky yeah. fucking thing. Yeah, I don't even. I remember when craft cocktails back this back in the day when craft cocktails first became popular, and there was this one bar out here in Cambridge, Mass, and they had this one drink called Smoke and Mirrors, and they would rinse the glass out with Lagavulin, and it interesting. Yeah. And then make the cocktail in it. And even that I couldn't stand because the smoke is so intense for me personally that I know if I want to smoke something, I'll either smoke a joint, eat barbecue, or do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to sit there or smoke or like I used to smoke cigars. I'll smoke a cigar. Like I want nothing to do with drinking my smoke. 
Ugh. Not my you, jam. You are, you are horribly wrong, my friend. But, I know. That's why I, I don't like mezcal. I'm not a mezcal your... girl. No, it's just it's who I am. I know me and I'm okay with that. Right? I am 10 years younger than you, 1980, baby. So I've been around. She's been around. Okay. Priyanka from Instagram writes, I went on your website and I saw you have white wine on there that I have never heard of before called, and I'm going to butcher this one, Petite Maising. Mansan. What are the characteristics and the tasting notes of this varietal? Fucking hell. Petit Mansang is dope. Um, so uh the reason that I planted that is twofold. One, it is inc- so Bhutan has monsoon pressure in the summer. And Petit Mansang is notoriously rain resistant. Mm. So that's like kind of like my plan B. Um, like if, if, if Cabernet is not going to grow in that vineyard because there's too much rain, but Petit Mansang will. Mm. Secondly, um, in the South of France, they make this glorious, um, slightly sweet wine from Petit Mansang and also Gros Mansang and Corbu, um, in a couple places called Jeranson and, uh, and also Matarin where they label it. Pasharon to people. And I get that I'm getting super geeky. No. However, um, the Jeronson to me is like one of the greatest dessert wines in the world mm. that people don't know about. Everyone knows about Sauternes. Yeah. Um, but Petit Mansang, they, they harvest it late and it has this like candied pineapple character to it, but it's it's this super bright, fresh acidity um, that is just fucking awesome. And and all and also because nobody knows about it, it's like you can get Jeronson for 25 bucks. Wow. Um, and they, they make it in like a dry style and also a, a semi-sweet style. I don't know what what we're gonna do with it in in Bhutan, but but I'm hoping. I'm hoping we can harvest it late and make a, a sweet wine out of it because it is so delicious. Mm. Do you prefer out of the two styles? Do you prefer the semi-sweet over the dry? Hundred percent. Yeah, the yeah. dry style is a little. Eh, it's fine, but like, yeah. like it's a it's an aromatic white wine that's dry. Like you could get that a hundred places. Um, you know, you get mm-hmm. Vermentino or Fiano Diavolino or from Italy or Gavi or Arnais. Or, mm-hmm. um, there's a ton of places to get that, uh, mm-hmm. but that's that slightly sweet style. And and uh, just to put it into context, so like I would say like Sauterne is going to come in at like 120 grams per liter of residual sugar. So you got a thousand grams in a liter that's how a liter is fucking calculated yeah so 120 so one eighth of the bottle is sugar sugar um your cabinet style riesling is maybe coming in at 40 mm-hmm. but your Jeronson is coming in at 80 so it's uh... kind of the bridge between that cabinet riesling and the sautern um sounds delicious it's it's awesome. Like Didier Dagonos, like uh Le 
Hardin de Babylon is, I literally, I I witnessed a fight over the last of the, the Didier Dagno Jean-Saud between my girlfriend and another dude at a dinner party I threw one night. Where, like, literally, she was like, Motherfucker, you took, and I, I thought she was gonna stab the guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, 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 hey, baby, it's fine. And he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, and he poured like half of his glass into hers. Like, it's that good. It's You're uh, like, I'll get more. I can get more. Well, we, we can get more, but, but not that night. <laughs> right, exactly. No, <laughs> I get also, it. But my girlfriend's a redhead. So, like, you don't, you don't want to fuck around. Um, okay. Last listener question. Emma from Instagram writes, I've never been to Bhutan, but very interested in going. If someone was going to take a trip to your vineyards, will you have tasting rooms, tours, hotels? Could I make this into a vacation? What do you recommend doing in the region? Dare I say the kingdom? So Bhutan is like a bucket list uh, travel destination. I I would, like if you were going to go to Bhutan, I wouldn't make it like it's not a wine trip like if you want a wine trip go to bordeaux go to burgundy but if you're going to go to bhutan it's a life trip and i would say like you're going to want to hike the tiger's nest uh, monastery like like that's a life-changing experience there's a golden buddha um in in timpu that is just you can't believe that something like this exists. It's mm. 300 feet high. It's just unbelievable. And it's a temple. Um, there's a bunch of other trekking and monasteries um, that you would want to go visit. But while you're there, if you wanted to visit a vineyard, fuck yeah, come by. Like, we'll totally host you. We don't have any tasting rooms built yet. We have uh, the plans approved for our first tasting room um, on the road over the Dorshalu Pass um, that I was trying to break ground on during the pandemic. We have not because labor is is restricted right now. But um, but uh, yeah, depending on when you come, if you went like this this fall, eh, probably not going to have a tasting room for you. If you go in two years, we probably will. If you go in ten years, there'll probably be hotels and uh, a whole like we're trying to build the next Napa Valley. Yeah, totally. Um, When's the best time of year to go there? So the best time of year is probably September, to be honest. Mm. Um, Like that's when they do like a lot of the harvest festivals um, and the monsoon season's over, um, but it hasn't gotten super cold. It's just bitching. Uh, May is probably another great time to visit, but but, uh, yeah, September would be the time to go. September is like one of the best times to go anywhere in the world. Like legit. It is, it is a great month for weather. It seems like worldwide for the most part. Like it's, it's a good shoulder season month. Totally. Yeah. Loves me. Love me some September. Okay. This is the question I ask everyone. What um, are you currently making at home right now? Because we are also a food centric podcast. Oh, interesting. Um, so uh i'm a fat piece of shit okay um and and my girlfriend is convinced that the way to make me not a fat piece of shit is to feed me more vegetables uh which is highly struggle is real in our house as well Mm. so you probably have the the taste buds in the palate of a 12 year old who would like everything to be brown and fried correct like if it's bacon I'm all in on that shit. If it's a chicken uh, finger, if it's a French fry, if it's a, uh, uh-huh. 
Well, I don't know that I'm I'm more of a meat person than a fried person. Okay. But like if it's steak or bacon or whatever, I'm all in. And she is convinced that I need more vegetables. And so uh, I have resisted, but she has gotten extremely creative on how to sneak vegetables into me and mm-hmm. has done an amazing job of, uh, I don't cook, by the way. Like, like uh-huh. I'll take the wines to, to pair with the with whatever is being yeah. made. But uh, yeah, so she's been doing like a lot of really interesting stuff with um, all kinds of, of vegetables. Matter of fact, uh, not last night, but the night before, she did like this enchilada dish, which uh-huh. was uh, very sneaky because you would think enchiladas have chicken and shit inside of them, but turns out sometimes they don't. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> so, so that's what I got going on at home. It's like the, the fight around vegetables. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's the fight in most households is when one, one human wants to eat more vegetables and the other human doesn't. And um, struggle is real. So I get that. So how do people get a hold of you? How do they find you? Promote the hell out of yourself. Yeah. So I think um, we didn't really talk about my wine books, but. No, uh, bring them up now. Talk about them. Yeah. So I think uh, uh, drinkingandknowingthings.com is -hmm. a good way of getting in touch with me. And you can sign up for my wine newsletter, which is very easy. Um, And that offers access to Instagram and you know, email, a lot of stuff. SoCalRum.com is the rum company. ButanWine.com is the wine company. Uh, or, you know, Michael Jurgens at LinkedIn if you want to do some business shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Love it. I will link everything in the show notes. Last, 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 last question. If you had all the money in the world, I used to say if COVID wasn't a thing, it is and it isn't. Travel's a bitch right now. Uh, but you had all the money in the world. Where are you going? And what are you normally? I would say eating, but in your case, what are you drinking? Uh, I guess if I had all the money in the world, you know, I I think I would just I would spend more time in Bhutan, and that sounds self serving, but it it truly is like this magical place, mm. and I'm bummed that I have to uh, go to the Western world and work to to try to spend more time there, and uh. I haven't been able to get back there in a couple of years because of COVID and it, it just is spectacular. So for, for your listeners that, that aren't familiar with Bhutan, like just Google it, just yeah. click on the images, just, just read four minutes about gross domestic happiness versus gross domestic product. Yeah. And, and just like, think about living a life where you're not obsessed with money, but you're obsessed with being happier. Like it's, it's that fucking cool. Yeah. Um, what are you going next? So uh, I think we're going to go in, we were going to go September 10th, but I think mm-hmm. I'm going to push it to the first week of October. Awesome. Um, so, so you're going yeah. this year. So that's great. I thought oh, you were yeah, going to say you were going to go to the vineyard on your chest and have uh, that bottle of wine you wanted to have, but Hey, it's your well, money. I mean, you if, if, live that dream. And Albert Dave is listening. You I, had all I, the money in the world and you could go anywhere and drink anything. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. But mm-hmm. I would go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. MJ, this was a blast. Thank you so, so, so much for taking your time and diving. No, no, no. This is, this is awesome. And uh, thanks for having me on. Really Anytime, my friend. Can't wait to catch up later. I'll see you soon. Cool. Bye. 
MJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week and last week. For all of MJ's information, please go to my website for everything and look under the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com. Of course, if you've got questions for the podcast, I love answering them. Send me an email, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Lead with kindness, make some yummy food together this weekend, and I'll see you next Friday. Bye.